we've so glamorized the idea of passion. To me, a passion is what lights me up. When you look around and you go, I am just supremely happy in this moment right now. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a blessing. Your dream. and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, I am thrilled to welcome Jennifer McClure. She is the CEO of Unbridled Talent and the Chief Excitement Officer of Disrupt HR. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here to join you. So let's start out with what, like I always do with all of my guests, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And you have to share with guests one of your favorite hobbies, which ties back to unbridled talent. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a clue. That's right. Um, so I am originally was born in Cleveland, Tennessee. So I grew up on a farm that's been in my family for many generations. And my brother and I are the fifth generation to be raised in a log house that my parents restored uh, in 1976. So we lived there for a very long time. So grew up on a farm with all the cattle and dogs and cats and horses that I could, well, you can never have too many horses. Um, and, you know, went to high school there, went to college in Tennessee, and then uh, started moving around after that and ended up in Cincinnati. And I've been here in Cincinnati now for since 1996. So that's what, 20, 26 years, something like that. Yeah, 25, because mm -hmm. it's my 25th college college um anniversary this year okay so you know the yeah. numbers yeah so i know the number i don't usually know math but i do know that one <laughs> so 25 years here in cincinnati and my passion and life is horses and also people and talent so hence the unbridled talent name of the business so there are so many analogies between animals and humans because we are animals right yeah uh for you, what is the biggest learning lesson that, what, what have you learned the most from horses or do you continue to learn? Oh, that, that would have been my answer. Yeah, it's a continuous learning process and that's what I love about it. Um, I grew up with horses just going out in the field and always having one I could just pick, you know, jump on and ride, no saddle, no bridle. When you're young, you can do those things. You have no fear. And then uh, I got married. Would you still do that? Would well, you no. still no, do that? Now we have fear. See, that's the problem. <laughs> so, you know, there was no thought for any equipment when I was younger. Um, and then I got married and moved away. And, you know, maybe other than a trail ride on a vacation or something, went 20 plus years without riding horses. And uh, my dad eventually sold the horses that we had and the last, you know, the pets eventually passed away. So there were no more horses in my life. Um, and then when I turned 35, um, you know, well, maybe actually it was 2002. So I was not 35. I was older than that, 40 something. Um, I'd gotten divorced and was trying to figure out some sort of hobby. You know, how can I rediscover myself yeah. how can I get out into the world and I went you know horses were always my first love so I should start taking riding lessons 
I'd never taken a riding lesson. I'd never ridden English. I'd ridden in a Western saddle, if a saddle at all. And so I said, I'm going to learn to ride English and do the hunter jumper thing. Or I didn't know that was what it's called. I just want to jump. I want to jump things. <laughs> right. um, Which is so, terrifying, actually. It, it still is. Yeah. So that was um, that's brave. 2002. And I started, well, it was probably before then, I started looking around for places to take writing lessons. And so I, the internet was not what it is today. So yeah. I did Google a few things, but when you put in like Cincinnati writing, nothing really came up. So I kind of shelved the idea and said, well, you know, maybe someday. And I was actually, I was watching ESPN2, I think that was what it was called. Wait, you know, back when, because I wasn't doing anything. I had no hobbies, no life. So I'm watching salsa dancing championships on ESPN2. And this was before Dancing with the Stars or anything like that. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching salsa dancing championships and I'm like, maybe that would be a hobby I could take up. Salsa dancing, I'd meet people, I'd get out and be social. And so I Googled Cincinnati salsa dancing. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Which and is a up, thing. Uh, maybe. But it was like the first hit that came up was some sort of newsletter for Butler County, okay. which is where you know I, I live. And the cover article in that newsletter that was online was about a girl who had um, won a horse show that just happened to be someone that we had tried to get to babysit my son. So she lived in my neighborhood, but she never was able to babysit for him. But I recognized her name. I read the article and she rode at a stable called Beckett Run Stables in near Oxford. Okay. So I immediately forgot salsa dancing. I immediately <laughs> contacted uh, the, those people and started taking riding lessons. And it was like, I always tell people. So if I started in 2002, I was 38. And when you're starting over at 38, yeah. not that I had fear of horses, that was uh, getting on was no deal, but to try to learn a whole new riding discipline and to get your balance and your muscles. So what I tell people is I am 56 now, so I've been riding 18 years. So I might as well be like an 18 year old girl. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, I was, in, you know, my first horse show, I'm in the arena with 12 year olds and eight year olds. And I'm like trying to get that blue ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 40 something year old woman just being ultra competitive um, and made them cry. I made one of them cry in my own barn because I was so happy that I got <laughs> second and she got third. <laughs> oh. So from, from there, uh, you know, about a year and a half later, I leased a horse. I've changed to another barn where I've been since 2003. Um, and I really, I was actually writing in my journal this morning. Yeah. I have two horses now. I had three at one time. One's passed away. And, and that was my heart horse who changed, who literally changed my life. And I was writing this morning, what would my life have been like if I had not started writing? Because now it consumes me. It's my passion. And as you, you know, we started the, the question thread, the, one of the reasons why I love it is because it's, constant learning because you're in partnership with a being that also has a mind of their own. Mm -hmm. So not only do I have things I need to work on with me, I have to work on partnership and leadership. Wow. And so I love it. Okay. Jennifer, can I go back to this, this point? You're 38 mm -hmm. and, um, how did you get yourself to be open to finding something new? Do you know what I mean? Like, because I think so many times me included where, I'm just stuck. 
right? Well, I was stuck. You know, like I said, I'd, I'd gotten divorced um, probably a couple years earlier. And and that's, again, I was writing in the journal this morning. My hobbies at the time were, and you think I'm exaggerating, I would go to the mall. There's lots of mall. There were lots of malls in Cincinnati. I would mm-hmm. go to one mall on Friday night yeah. and just walk around. Not necessarily buy anything. Just right. enjoyed the people watching, eating the food court, touch all the clothes. I'm a toucher. So that's not good for COVID times. Um <laughs> So Friday night, I'd do that. Saturday, I would go to a different mall. And then Sunday, I would go to a different mall. And I, you know, I thought I was enjoying it. It was getting me out of the house and whatever. And I subscribed to a bunch of magazines. And so I was like, you know, Self Magazine and Shape Magazine and Marie Claire and Cosmopolitan. And so when I was at home, I'm watching Salsa Dancing on ESPN. So I really had no hobbies, which I, I think I... You know, and I I know it takes two people to to end a marriage, and um, I think part of my responsibility in that was a lot of things, but one of it was that I became a non-person. I became somebody who was not interesting, who had no hobbies, who really looked to my husband to kind of... I'm introverted. He was super extroverted. So he was the one responsible for making friends for us. And then his friends became my friends and we did stuff that he wanted to do. And so, you know, there were a lot of things that obviously happened in that, but I think a big piece of it was I lost myself. So to your question, I needed to rediscover myself. So I'm really glad that I took the time, probably was like a two minute time, but (laughs) took the time to say, when was I happy? And what was I doing? So that was horses. Fascinating, but not fascinating because um, I told you, listeners, today is the day that I got legally divorced. And I told Jennifer before we started that I just know that because we have changed this date how many times? I think I've changed it on you you three times because I was moving (laughs) one time, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I just know that today I'm supposed to be with you and you are like my my gift. And um, I hope that she's a gift to other people listening today uh, in that this this whole reminder to find and know oneself. And I think that that's like, I think that's a gift that I'm going to take advantage of. Um, I wasn't like you, my ex-husband. That's the first time that I can say my ex-husband. That's weird. Which by the way, Jennifer, I think I want to start saying my first husband, which means (laughs) that then I will have a second, just putting that out there to the universe. Your your starter husband. Oh, I like that even more. (laughs) So, um, you know, he wasn't, he was not extroverted. He was the introvert. I was the extrovert. And, um, so for me, I, I have a a very full social life, but I wasn't good about doing stuff by myself just for me. Right. And some of that is what the role requires. You know, if you're, if you're in a partnership, a marriage, and I had a child, you know, small child at the time. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like I was, I needed to be focused on others in some way, but for anybody listening, don't ever lose sight of what makes you you and gives you joy. Or if you have lost sight of it, it probably will change or you can have multiple things that bring you joy, but just always have something. And, and again, for me, horses get me out of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even when it's cold, it's rainy, I need to go get, they need to be exercised. I want to see them. Um, and again, how many, 
how many pounds more would I have gained during COVID-19 if, <laughs> if I hadn't at least been able farm animals were exempted. You could still get out and go to your farm animals. I could still go see my horses and have something to do uh, rather than sit on the couch and just wonder what happened to life. So um, it was part of your purpose. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it fulfills me. It's, it's the classic, it's my passion. Hmm. And Oh, that that question it's 100 percent. i know the answer people say oh if you had a million oh, well, a million first of all a million dollars is not retirement type money it's not life changing money right. <laughs> i always like to remind people a million dollars be cool i'll take it <laughs> um but it's not like you can quit your job and no. throw your hands up in the air it's more like that... if you had 10 million dollars <laughs> yeah 10 million would or if, be if you had a billion dollars maybe that's 10 million or billion if you gave me that and you said jennifer what will you do if you didn't have to work another day in your life i would 100 percent spend all day every day with horses, I would even work for somebody else doing grooming or whatever, because I love it, but it is my passion. So I don't have to work in it. And maybe if I did work in it, and I've seen that from people, you know, in other fields, when you work in your passion, sometimes yeah. it's no longer what fuels you it becomes a job. So while I'd love to have more free time and liberty to spend horse time with horses doing what I, I, I work. And hence the unbridled talent. I work in another area that I'm passionate about to fund my passion. Right. You know, because I don't necessarily want, well, I know I don't want horses or the things I'm passionate about to be a So job. do you think it's possible to work in your passion? And if so, how do you do that and balance it? I think it's possible. But even like, you know, my trainer that I've been with there for 20 years, I would say horses are her passion too, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's a job. You know, she's out there teaching lessons all day. I always and... wonder too, if it's like this weird energy between like an exchange of money and having to make a living on something yeah. versus if you, if you didn't do it, it, there was no like negative consequence. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think, but it's also, you know, we, we've so glamorized the idea of passion. Mm. To me, a passion is what lights me up. I love speaking. I love being on a stage. I love talking to people. I love coaching people. I love helping people. I love what I do for a living. You know, I love all those things. But if you were to, again, it's, I think it's some of those moments of self-reflection. When is it that you're just like, when you look around and you go, I am just supremely happy in this moment right now. And that's when I'm on the back of a horse. Yeah. So you're like, so you're passion, in the flow. I like to reserve it for that, that just lovely, wonderful feeling of complete happiness where I can be really, truly in love with other aspects of my life. But I'm going to say my passion is that singular thing that lights me up. So tell, tell our listeners when you speak, what topics do you speak about when you coach? What are you coaching around? Sure. Um, my sp speaking is probably about 80% of my income or what I do, or at least it was before COVID. And right. I do and hope it's that starting to come back. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. And the topics that I speak around are high impact leadership. So how can you be a more impactful leader? Um, talent strategies, so whether that's recruiting, attracting, retaining talent, and then personal branding. So it's around helping you to build your authority, your credibility. So those are, again, areas of passion for me. Actually, I said I was reserving my passion for areas of really enjoyment. 
<laughs> and, you know, I speak to audiences typically of leaders, uh, often in the HR recruiting space, because that was where I spent almost 20 years of my corporate career. So I have a lot of uh, love for the, the people leaders of the world. And the people that I coach are typically in leadership, you know, director level and above roles, often in people leadership positions. So Disrupt HR, explain that, because I think it's really cool and unique. Yeah. So Disrupt HR, I think it's a, a wonderful lesson in, uh, I started my business in 2010, stepped out on my own and, and probably flailed around for a little bit, but had learned, again, I mentioned earlier, I was an introvert, I still am an introvert. So networking didn't come natural to me and I had never done it. So yeah. I kind of came out of the corporate world, decided I wanted to start my own business. I engaged a coach to tell me, my thought was I would pay someone to tell me, you are perfect to start your own business, please go do it, you need to do it today. <laughs> Instead, he said, you know, we need to go out and start talking to some people. You're going to have to network. And I was like, I don't network. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, that's uh, phase one of my, or actually phase one was build your marketing, personal marketing plan. Second phase was go out and start networking. And he said, that's what you're paying me for. And that's the process. So uh, he started me on the remedial plan of, uh, I, he, he kept saying, you know, some people go meet with people. And I'm like, I know no one other than the people that I worked with. And, and I don't want to talk to them anymore. <laughs> 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 or at least they're sick of me right now. We've, we've been through a lot, you know. Um, so he gave me three names of people that he knew or former clients. And I started going out and talking to people about it. Really, I think the magic was I was thinking I was going to start my own business. So I wasn't really looking for a job. So I wasn't the classic, right. let's get a cup of coffee. And do, do you know anybody that's hiring? Can I shove my resume in your face? Yeah, I was truly, I'd let, I, you know, you're either someone that I'm interested in or that I know, or that someone referred, you know, suggested that we connect. And I'd love to learn more about you and your career. Uh, and then, you know, maybe 20 minutes or so in, I might share a little bit about kind of where I'm at in my career and then get your advice. You know, where should I network? Where, what classes do you think I should take? If I do want to start my own business, what do you think I should do? And out of that just came wealths of wisdom from mm. people who are like, please don't start your own business. You're not ready. <laughs> really? You're, you don't know how to do business development. You're, you're saying that you've never done networking or relationship building. You really need some relationships in order to be successful in business. And so um, fantastic advice. Can't, can't be grateful enough for that. So ultimately, the coach that I was working with uh, worked in a recruiting firm. You know, he wasn't a recruiter, but he had an office in the recruiting firm. Uh, since Centennial Inc., lovely people here in Cincinnati. Yeah. He said, go talk to Mike Zippel Sr., who's the, the owner of the recruiting firm. And he said, you know, people were telling me I should be a recruiter. And I was like, I don't like recruiters, no. <laughs> uh, but the, again, smart people were saying, well, why don't you like recruiters? And I said, because they're transactional. They just call, you know, as an HR leader, they're just calling me, telling me they have a perfect fit. They don't know anything about me. They don't know anything about my company. They annoy me. They bother me. And so they said, well, but wait what if you could recruit and not do any of that? And I was like, wait, is that possible? And they said, you're actually working within a group of people that do it that way. So they kept, you know, talking about serendipity, they kept referring me back to Mike Sipple Sr., the owner of the recruiting firm and saying, yeah. you should talk to him about doing recruiting. So I went to him and I said, you know, how about this recruiting thing? And he's just wonderful. He was like, if you think you can do it, you know, it's hundred percent commission. So right, <laughs> you know, right. it wasn't like, Oh, I'll pay you money to go figure it out. He's like, if you can do it, then, then I'm happy to give you a shot. And he did. And they taught me so much about relationship building and networking and still, I said, 
card-carrying introvert today, but relationship building done right doesn't feel difficult even for introverts Mm -hmm. um, because it truly is about how can I help you? How can I learn more about you? How can I remember things about you that when I hear something, I think of you and connect you with people that you should be? And through that became business um, for me as a recruiter. And part of that strategy was I was going to networking events and stuff. Now, those are a little bit harder because you're like everybody else. You're showing up with your cards and, you know, all that. And I was at an HR networking um, monthly meeting here in Cincinnati. And again, I'm trying to make friends and win friends and influence people. And I saw a a young guy that I had not seen at the meetings before. And so I thought, well, I I will be the benevolent person here and go over and help him feel welcome. Nice. And it turns out he was uh, a CEO of a startup. Uh, an HR tech company here in Cincinnati. And so he was showing up where his customers were to try to build some relationships. Uh, They already had some very high profile clients, but he was trying to, what I love about him, his name's Chris Ostich, O-S-T-O-I-H, O-S-T-O-I-H, yeah. And he wanted to understand his customers more. So he wasn't necessarily there trying to get business. He was wanting to connect with HR leaders and understand from their side what their needs were. So we met and he said, you know, hey, you've been an HR leader. Um, Would you mind kind of advising me and my company? And so I said, sure. And we would meet every three to six months or so, go to lunch and hear about what they're doing. And um, he, of course, always would ask me what I was doing. And so at one of those lunches in 2013, um, I listened, they just won some prestigious awards and a lot of great things were happening. And so we were you know, celebrating that. And then he said, you know, what's, what's, what are you thinking about? Again, a great, he's a great entrepreneur because he's always interested in the next great idea. Yeah. And I love about him is every great, every idea out of your mouth, he thinks about how you can make it a million dollars. <laughs> you can make a million dollars. <laughs> so he said, Jennifer, what's new? What are you thinking about? You know, and I'd been, you know, about three years into speaking and attending a lot of conferences and events, speaking at conferences and events, and a lot of them in the HR space. And I yeah. said, you know, I, I go to 40 or 50 conferences and events a year and I see a lot of the same people and I hear a lot of the same ideas and as long as everybody's choosing me that's cool right (laughs) and there's no shame because every you know an HR leader might go to one conference a year they're not seeing the same people at all these but I told Chris I said you know my idea is that someday I'd like to I know enough cool people now who are doing really interesting things that maybe someday I'd like to have an event here in Cincinnati my hometown now, my adopted hometown, uh, where I invite some cool people to talk about different topics, the things that are, are typically discussed, you know, at HR events, it's compliance, it's FMLA, it's always right. a lawyer talking about what you can't do. At the time, it was all about how to use social media, you know, so he loved that idea and got his little notebook out and he started writing. He's like, you could do this and you could do this. And he, he kind of got really jazzed up about it. And um, I think a day or two later, he gave me a call and he said, I came back and I talked to my team and he said, we think that we could help you with this and we can make this a thing. And he goes, we, we could invite some of our clients, you know, people that aren't traditionally on stages at conference events. And yeah. Of course he was a young, I call him a yuppie. He's, he's older now. We all are, but <laughs> He's like connected to that kind of urban Cincinnati, cool people. Um, and he said, I'll get some people to come and do different talks. And so he came up with the name Disrupt HR. So he always gets to be the founder because the idea never would have happened without, without him. Without him. And when, and the, how often well, does it happen? Well, at the time, 
he was the organizer for Ignite group, uh, events in Cincinnati. Okay. If you remember, or if you've ever been to, and they have the five minute, 20 slide, 15 second talks where people in the community can come and talk about things. So his idea was let's take that Ignite format. Let's call it Disrupt. And originally we were like going to have one every month. Um, <laughs> and his team kind of, you know, we had almost 300 people at oh the first gosh. event. Um, when was that? That was December, 2013. And I did not know it's been around that long. I had only yeah. heard of it last year or a year oh, and a half ago. Yeah, no, it's been around for a while. And so right after that, two things happened. A friend of mine from Denver had been in the area and I told her she had to come. And so she was like, do you think you could, I'd love to do this in Denver. Do you, could y'all help me do it in Denver? Nice. And we also said, this was a lot of work and we cannot do one every month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe once a quarter. And then we and went to couple times And what's the financial model? Like, do you get sponsors? Do people pay to come? Like what? Yeah, we, we didn't set it up to be a business. Okay. Uh, and, and there's probably a whole lot of pluses and minuses to that. Is it like a marketing engine a little bit? Originally it was going to be a way for, again, Chris to kind of connect with some of his customers. Uh, I just wanted to have an event and invite some cool people it turned into not just my friend Mary from Denver, who once we put the videos from the event online, people were like, this is really cool. Could we do this in Cleveland and New York City and wow. Vancouver? And so I think we had like 12 or 14 cities after about a year and a half where we were helping wow. them with, you know, it's tickets could be, I think the way Chris originally envisioned it would be free tickets and sponsors would cover the cost. And, yeah. and the first two or three events we had in Cincinnati were that way. Um, but we told people, you can do whatever you want. You want to charge a ticket price, whatever. But we suggest it's something small, $25 or sure. less maybe. And so everybody kind of has a little bit different spin on it, but everybody uses the five minute, 20 slide, 15 second talks. The goal is to get ideally people who aren't traditionally invited to speak on conference That's stages so or maybe they've never spoken. And, and, and the best talks I love it at events is when people are terrified or their talk is really bad um, <laughs> because it's hard to give a five minute, 20 slide, 15 second yes. talk. Um, but the crowd gets behind them. Yeah. And so that's why I think so, there's magic in Disrupt HR because you can go try out an idea and the crowd is going to be with you. You can't go get on a stage to give a 45 minute or an hour long talk and bomb it because people will be walking out in droves. Right. So Jennifer, is it still going on? I mean, will we, it go on even with COVID? We obviously I mean, froze all COVID. the events for uh, starting in March of 2020. We've okay. just reopened our licensing process. As of March 2020, we had licensed 158 cities in 37 countries. Oh my God. Yeah. Over 5,000 talks had been given videos online, um, over 300 events around the world. Some cities like in London, they hold events every quarter. Uh, New York city was doing every quarter. Did you we ever go to any of the other cities and visit? Yep. I've spoken at probably 15 different cities events. You know, That's so, so cool. It was a way for me to also get out there too. Right. But I always, I always told people and I still will tell our organizers, um, there are people in your city that have a message that needs to be heard. You don't need to bring in an out of town speaker. You don't need to bring me in, mm. but if you want to, and some people do, they want to have somebody they think might be a draw, have a couple people like that, but find 10 people in your city that need to and have an idea that needs to be heard. So I love that. And that's similar to what I'm doing with failing forward. Yeah. It's since now I've opened it up to not just Cincinnati, but at the beginning it was all Cincinnati people. Cause there's, we have such, 
smart, interesting, provocative people that I wanted to showcase their stories. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think you'll, obviously you're discovering the stories of people who either maybe they haven't had the confidence to share their story or yeah. they haven't had an opportunity or a venue. So with Disrupt HR, I just constant, thousands of people probably have gone to events since 2013. And to hear some of the stories of, well, I started my own business after I gave my first Disrupt HR talk, or oh, I met somebody cool. that I now partner with, or I got another job because I was at this event and I connected with this person. Um, but I think the best ones for me are, again, I, I love the crash and burn talks where the person comes <laughs> off the stage and people are you know like, what that job! is, Yay! Girl, you know what that is? That's What's failing that? forward. Okay. That's failing forward. That is legit failing forward. We should give them a failing forward. Um, well, that, that, that might great. hurt their feelings. I remember but they in could, the very beginning, I tried to follow, you know, a lot of, we have hashtags for every city. And so when somebody, I remember I was following Vancouver, uh, Disrupt HR Vancouver was having, I think their first or second event. And I was following along, it was in the evening yeah. on Twitter with the hashtag to see what people were tweeting. So they had a whole thing where people would, you know, they got, they had a picture wall. And so they were doing a lot of hype it up at the beginning. And so I'm looking at all, I'm loving it. And I keep seeing all these tweets from people like, oh, be with so-and-so because she's like super nervous. She's never spoken before. So everybody, you know, clabber up. And so finally I see she gets on stage and there, there are lots of supportive tweets about her talk. Um, and I got the video after, because they send me the mm -hmm. videos of the five minute talks afterwards. And then we put them online. Uh, under their city so people can find them and share them right so i watched your video because i'm like did she do, you know because right. they were like oh you did so good you did and this was all on twitter you know sure. they're congratulating she didn't do a great job the, the idea was wonderful and i've actually used what she talked about it was an employer branding person um, with a restaurant chain in canada and I've shared that idea in some of my presentations multiple times. And I think, you know, the message, again, that's the beauty of Disrupt HR or Failing Forward. She got the message out, which was what they had done to share their employer brand that was new and unique. Yeah. And she shared it and then people were able to learn from it and take it and make it their own. Was she a great speaker? Has she ever spoken again? I don't know. <laughs> but people were encouraging her and I'm sure she felt accomplished after that because she did something that clearly she was terrified to do um and she helped other people while doing it so yeah. i love that jennifer i'm sure our listeners are like okay well uh she had a great career in corporate she had a great career in recruiting she started disrupt hr what what failures have you had Oh gosh, we should have started with that because that'd be, that'd be, I could have filled up a whole, a whole time with that. So many, again, even let's just try to capsulize my corporate almost 20 year career as an HR leader executive. I was always either the only HR person or the, the top HR leader, the first woman or the youngest person promoted in, in the jobs that I had. But if I look back on it, I did so much of HR wrong. I was very command and control. I really? was very black and white. And I learned over time, I think by the time in my last role, when I was um, 
in an executive and a turnaround situation, I did good work. I mean, I did good work in all of my jobs, yeah. but I just sometimes cringe where I look back and I'm like, if somebody looked up my LinkedIn profile that I used to work with and they're like, she's a speaker now talking about leadership. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry that my experience with you was so poor because I did a lot of things wrong. I mean, that's not the way to be a leader of any kind, especially an HR leader. And then, you know, the recruiting thing, I, I failed a lot. I, I didn't want to do any kind of cold calling. So I did a lot of relationship building. Um, I, I was just talking today about one of my first assignments that I took on that I shouldn't have taken on, that yeah. I ultimately refunded the client their money because I didn't ask the right questions in the intake meeting that, that we clearly weren't on the same page. And then starting my own business, even though I took the advice of people yeah. who said I wasn't ready because I'd never done any business development. I did learn that. I did learn the relationship building. But then I just said, I'm ready. And I started a business and I had no website, no brand. It took me a year and a half to start my business because I was trying to come up with a cool name, which that's my advice for anyone. If you want to start a business, start it as ABC Corporation. And don't waste name. time thinking about yeah. the name. Yeah. Don't waste. And number Number two, like I picked unbridled talent because a friend of mine, I'm like, I'm trying to find a horse name, you know, that, that connects my passion to my purpose. Um, <laughs> and she was, we were having lunch and she's like, what about unbridled talent? And I Googled it and the, the URL was available. And I'm like, that's perfect. You know, I love it still, but it's not perfect because for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, people, when they see talent, they think of like actors and creatives. Oh, yeah. So in the beginning, I was getting like, do you place actors? And I'm like, number no. one, it's not recruiting. Number two, it's not. No. Uh, and nobody can say or spell unbridled. Okay, wait. So, now you have to spell it. You and just like like a bridle on a horse with a U-N in front of it. <laughs> wait. U-N-B-R-I-D- E-L or L-E? Unbridled, D-L-E-D. But it most often gets pronounced unbridled. And I'm like, unbridled oh. is not a word. Where are you coming up with that? <laughs> and then, of course, it's in my email address. So every time I Jennifer at Unbridled Talent, what? <laughs> unbridled? No. And so I'm a speaker as well. So I'm getting introduced on stages. And you Stop usually it usually some volunteer who's got my bio printed out and we're standing off the side of the stage and they're like, okay, so your company name is, and I'm like unbridled talent. And they go, okay, got it. And then they, and then get they up go and out there and they it. go, I'd like to introduce Jennifer McClure. She's the CEO of Underbridge Talent. Oh God. <laughs> so, like, oh, well, maybe they'll remember that. Yeah. So I started, but I didn't ask for help. I didn't like, Ooh. go to score or I didn't, you know, I didn't have money to, when I started my business, I should have spent the money, um, you know, to get someone to advise me on setting up systems and processes. Instead, I was just like, I'm open for business. And I had so some So I would say that was probably, I was so focused on sales systems and process. I did not do either. That's a really, no. I, I love well, the two things that you said, ask for help and the systems and process. Yes, I should have had a mentor who, or someone who was kind of walking me through, even like, I, it took me probably two months to set up bank accounts. And then I think the first thing I did was I got incorporated or whatever, because I had met through my networking, a, a lawyer that did that. So I paid her $500 to set me up 
I think correctly. And then a little while later, I'm like, oh, well, I should set up bank accounts. And then a little while later, I'm like, oh, I need a website. And a little while later, I'm like, you know, so it was like, it took me the first year of my own business. I started in February, 2010, 2010. I, I did those things. It was more internal process and like bookkeeping and the things that oh. I wasn't good at, <laughs> I needed to outsource. And I didn't realize that early on. But this, uh, is, a, this is a great failure example for you. So you just mentioned invoicing. Yeah. So I, I had some clients, some speaking clients lined up before I stepped out on my own. So I had some potential income coming at a future date. But the very first day, February 9th, 2010, I was quote in business for myself. And again, the folks at Centennial said, you can stay here in the office and work out of the office you want. We'll help you set up your own business. But I'm like, nope, I'm going to work out of my home, do this thing. Um, So I had a board meeting. I was on a nonprofit board here in Cincinnati and had a board meeting the first Monday that I started my business. I go there and an executive that I had helped uh, at at Centennial in the recruiting business was on the board as well. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Hey, Jennifer, what's new? And I said, starting my own business today. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm going to speak. I'll do some consulting. I'll do all the things. And he said, uh, why don't you come and help me in my business? We're having trouble attracting recruiting. So I got my first client on the first day. Oh my God. We do the work you get through all that. Um, and I learned that I'm not a good consultant because I take on all the problems instead uh-huh. of the one that you brought uh-huh. me to solve. Because I'm a problem solver. So right. I go in and I'm like, oh, you wanted me to work on this, but I also see that and I see this and I see that and I can help you with all those things. And they're like, sure, help us, but we're still going to pay you for the one thing. Right, right. <laughs> so I get out of scope real quick in consulting. I learned that. Um, but it took me, I think that was like a two-month assignment. And they were ready to pay me. I probably didn't invoice them for six months because I didn't really know how. (laughs) And I finally created an invoice in Excel and then made it a PDF and I sent it to them and they were like, great, can we pay you online? I'm like, no. (laughs) So it was stuff like that where if you want to start your own business, either go through a program. I mean, there's plenty of things online, online training courses even now that you could do and probably was back then. But I wasted, I, I made $12,000 my first year in business, not because I probably couldn't have done more than that, but because I was just flailing around trying to do basic things like send an invoice. Yeah. And then I probably didn't pay for an invoicing system for three or four more years. So I'm still creating them in Excel, saving them as PDFs and sending them to people and then having the conversation about, I don't take credit cards, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And now I pay $39 a month to send out an invoice within seconds, you know? Right. So that didn't have to happen. And if I'd had just somebody advising me, it would have been a much better start. So can you close us out with what do you think is the biggest lesson that humans can learn from horses? Oh, that's a good question. Good, good twist on the old question. They need your calm leadership. So I think even in stressful situations, like I have a baby horse now and I was riding her today's her fifth birthday today. Hmm. It was our, our first lesson. I've ridden her, but her first lesson. And the whole time I'm talking to her, I'm like, that bird's not going to hurt you. I need you to learn how to trust me. So I think as leaders and even as parents or partners, that calm sense of no matter what happens, I need you to trust me. You're bigger than me. You're more powerful than me. You're faster than me and you can hurt me. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to put you in situations where 
ideally you're not going to be hurt. Um, and we're in this together. And so I think absent that you, you hear about people using horses and therapy and all that, because right. they do sense if you're nervous and I was nervous today riding her, um, yeah. if you're nervous, they feel that. And then everything, a bird becomes scary, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but if I can calm myself, uh, and I think as leaders and organizations, even just think about the last year, we all went through a bunch of crap. It was hard. There was a lot of failure and a lot of unknowns, but the companies that did really well actually saw employee engagement increase. Mm. And that when you, you know, now they're looking back like Gallup, who does the annual, you know, the engagement surveys for 20 plus years, sure. they're looking into why did engagement go up in a pandemic? And it comes back to more frequent communication from leaders, honesty and transparency in the communication, leaders being more visible, you know, and telling people, hey, we don't necessarily know the next step, but here's what we're going to do next. And here's why we made those decisions. We haven't always done that well as leaders. And so I really think that's what you need to do as horses. You need to be looking ahead. You need to be communicating to them that you, you got this under control, even when it's a scary situation. And I think for leaders, parents, partners we need to be constantly communicating with the horse you're communicating obviously differently but constantly communicating like here's what i see or i'm not sure here or i'm like me starting my own business i'm going to go out and get some advice from someone else yeah. but i'm communicating with you all along the way to give you a sense of calm that we're in this together girl that is perfect Perfect ending to our time together. Thank you for being patient with me with my reschedule and for spending time with us today. And let's go fail forward some more. Yeah. Yeah, girl. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 